You're listening to San Antonio Public Library's podcast, Tuned In. This podcast is made possible through the generosity of the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. Our sound engineer is Dan Garcia. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at guides.mysapl.org slash SAPL tuned in. Hello, everyone. This is Edward with the Tune In Podcast team. Today we have a colorful group of people to talk about the present of the Queer Nation San Antonio. So let's start off with our sample team. Michael, tell us about yourself. Hello, uh, my name is Michael. I'm the assistant branch manager at Cody. My pronouns are he, him, uh, and I've been with Sapple for four years now, actually. How time flies. Wow. Awesome. Daiquiri? Hi, I'm Daiquiri. I am a teen services librarian on the southeast side of town at Schaefer Library. And Shannon. I'm Shannon. I am the assistant manager and teen services librarian over at the Forest Hills Library, soon to be open sometime in the next year. My pronouns are she, they. We did forget to pronouns. Michael, can you tell us your pronouns, please? Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Daiquiri? My pronouns are she, her. Thank you. And Dan, our sound engineer. And today we have a special guest. We have Erica from the Pride Center. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. What are your pronouns? You know what? That's a very good question. I do not have any pronouns. No pronouns? No pronouns. Just, you know, Edward, he, your highness, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Those are forms of address. I'm just just making fun. (laughs) I really, that's that's a question that's come up before, and I really don't have any pronouns. I never thought about it, but I think it's something that I need to think about because it's become more prevalent in just in people's signatures, I see what the library people have different signatures. So I need to think about that. Maybe today, by the end of this podcast, I have my pronouns. If y'all will help me. Sounds sure. good. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Erika Alcocer. I use they, them, AJ pronouns if you're hablando en español. I work at the Pride Center as the Community Impact Coordinator, which is just a fancy way of saying I do a lot of things at the Pride Center uh, alongside my coworkers. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So today... We're going to talk about the present of how SAPL and different community organizations are trying to, you know, make an impact with the queer nation side of San Antonio, the queer society in San Antonio. Uh, so, Erika, can you tell us a little bit more about the Pride Center and uh, what it, it does within the San Antonio queer community, what it, what, it, what it tries to do, its goals? Yeah, so the Pride Center San Antonio is similar to many pride centers that you can find in the states, uh, United States. Uh, we offer resources. We're a resource hub. So if anyone has any questions or just kind of questioning or curious about anything in San Antonio LGBTQ plus related, we're the people that you can come to and we'll provide any and all information that we can find or that we know of. So kind of like being that direct link to community. Um, We also provide lots of our own programs, including peer support programs like Trans Mask Folks EMAS and Women in Transition. We also have Trans Allies. We have a grief support group for LGBTQ plus folks. We also do events. We build with community partners. We have annual events, fundraising events, events. family events, so uh, events targeted to bring together LGBTQ plus families. One of our main 
I think focuses as um, health and wellness for our community. As we know, finding affirming uh, health and wellness, it can be really difficult as a person, a queer person. Um, and so we have free counseling for folks 18 plus, free case management. We have group counseling. We've had group counseling for people, uh, youth of color ages 18 to 24. We are looking to start up a counseling, group counseling for people, queer people in Spanish and Espanol. Um, we also focus on aspects of like um, testing and prevention in our community. So we'll table and we have testing kits for STD, STIs, HIV. Um, well, right now we also have a really awesome program I want to talk about, which is our direct aid program. It's a branch of our case management and it's basically just where people will come to us with specific needs and we're going to be able to meet them with direct aid or if we're not able to do that we'll link them to a community organization who does and so yeah we do a whole lot of things all all of the time we also have our um our education aspect which is safe zone training and um yeah that's uh, what I can think of at the moment. Participating events, big events, Pride. We all know Pride. We we don't actually do Pride. Common misconception: we are not Pride Incorporated. We're the Pride Center, so that's like a separate entity. We just like participate in Pride, like all the other organizations. Um, exciting things like partner with rescues. We're having a big gay dog adoption. What? All the dogs are gay. So um, <laughs> queer, LGBTQ+. Plus. Uh, animals are all queer inherently. But yes, um, we, we, you know, just like fun stuff like that. Um, and then more of the, you know, holding our community in ways of honoring Trans Day of Remembrance with other community organizations, our Trans Week of Visibility, a lot of presence on social media, and making good community partners like with Apple. Uh, well, thank you very much. In fact, uh, I should say we should we should be thanking you because I know when uh, the Queer Committee at Apple start was getting started, um, and then of course as all stories go now, and then the pandemic happened. Um, dun, dun, dun. But uh, I was working with Morgan about getting the the committee going and. Um, I was very glad that Pride Center San Antonio was around because uh, even though I had grown up in San Antonio, I'd gone to school outside of it. And even coming back, um, get trying to get the library on the, I want to say right path, but that's not quite what I mean. Trying to help make the library the most effective partner Um it was wonderful that you were you're, you were there and the Pride Center was there to ask about, hey, so what does the the community need? What are they looking for? Um, and it has helped us to begin fashioning more system wide programming uh, to to help support uh, said community. Um, and recently, you know, we we have done educational programming but we're also trying to move away to more like social programming more like hey we don't we don't need to educate you on yourselves and we need don't always need to do programs educating other people let's just try and make a space um and and the partnership has been invaluable to us in in figuring out how to craft that i would say 
Michael, can you uh, share with folks what the beginning of the partnership looked like for y'all? What was programming like? What did you start um, with? Like, yeah. Sure. Um, so it started, I want to say, very basic. Um, one of the actually first long-term programs we tried was, uh, we called it the Tea Room. Um, and what it was essentially was a, a advice column, uh, as I like to say, a queer abbey, if you will. Um, and what it consisted of was people could submit questions um, through a form uh, on the queer lib guide, because it was also another way to try and funnel traffic to the, to lib, the guide. lib guide. Yeah. Um, we have lib guides, people. Please look at them. So um, and then the questions would be sent on over to the Pride Center um, to uh, get answers from uh, volunteer members within the community. And of course, we did we did let people know like these these are not like health professionals. This is this is not like a, a mental counseling service. This was just hey, I've been in a similar spot. Here's what I learned from it, or here's my advice regarding it. Um, unfortunately, ultimately, we did discontinue the tea room due to the fact that we weren't really getting very many uh, questions. Um, although, if I recall correctly, it's very flattering because uh, uh, Erica, you and Lex were like, "You're getting some challenging questions. This is great." We're like, "Oh, we're actually mostly." making these up oh, but no. we're glad that they're very informative you find them like very very oh, well done um i mean we did get some actual community questions but by and large um there wasn't a huge response to it um hopefully it's something we may implement again in the future if if people maybe hear this podcast and decide that's a great idea they'd be lovely um but yeah um and uh I would say not to put you on the spot, but it is kind of putting you on the spot, Erica. Like, so uh, not not to go fishing for compliments, but um, has the the partnership with Sapple, um, have we been able to provide uh, uh, benefit or, or value to the Pride Center and its mission? Uh, yes, I, I think absolutely. I think that goes in two directions, too. Um, working and being in collaboration and community partnership with the library I've seen it um, in many ways whether it's you know being able to spread our information and events that are youth related to the teens or um, having librarians call and and connect with the center to ask really difficult questions on how to move on with programming and how to navigate a lot of the hurdles that our community knows from experience and maybe someone who's like running a program doesn't directly know how to approach that or even how to start looking at that and so I I really appreciate um, like I said all of our community partnerships I think ones like with the library are so beneficial to everybody in our community that's nice that's good I'm glad (laughs) that it hasn't been a one way street that we have been able to really build a relationship Uh, Erica uh, I did want to ask you um because uh, one of the things uh, we've been talking about in the queer community, uh, queer committee, um, that that I've brought up is one of the goals is I would like to work towards the community seeing the library as a a resource. And by what I what I mean by that is as a place to learn uh, about themselves, as a place to feel safe while doing it. 
Um, I know, I know growing up, I always saw the library as my space, but I also have come from a place where there are a lot of spaces that were open to me. Um, and of course, this is also balanced by the fact of like just getting people to use the library in general. Um, so uh, if it's not personal, I wanted to ask like, do do you have you used the library like uh, either growing up or now? Like, is it is it a place you see as a potential resource, or do you uh, feel there are other places that better serve um, your needs? Um, because uh, I, I obviously I do not expect you to speak for the queer community as a whole. <laughs> um, I would love to say that the library holds a very special place in my heart, as I'm sure it does for lots of people in San Antonio in general, um, because it was one of the places my mom would take us as kids and, you know, force, like, you have to read all of these books, and... Um, would give us free range to whatever books and a lot of my memories because I left San Antonio when I was young some of my greatest memories are being in the bookshelves of one of the libraries close to where we lived on the south side and finding like the witch the lion in the wardrobe and books on mythical creatures that is so queer like anything it is (laughs) right you just be like oh Pegasus and yeah it was amazing um And so coming back to San Antonio and finishing my undergrad at UTSA and being in the library at UTSA and also utilizing the library here at Central um, and then also working with the library at one point, I I just fell back in love with it. I think that this is a space uh, absolutely that the queer community can utilize and and cultivate and and, – I mean, all communities can. That this is a space you can walk in and, and not be judged. And the books are here to hold you. The librarians are here to help you. And so I, I have like a lot of love for the library in general, and would love to c- continue to see it grow as a space and a hub where community can come together and organize, or just like talk or learn and and yeah just kind of exist and and be queers in the library. I also love the idea of youth. Like, I love the teen programming. Um, I love the idea of having, like, LGBTQ plus story time or story time that incorporates, you know, um, liberating books for youth. Um, As a step-parent, I I know that bringing my kiddo to the library has always been lots of fun. Bringing kiddos that I'm looking after to the library has always been lots of fun for them. So it's really, like, changing this narrative of what the library is, right? It's not just the place that holds the books, but it's the place that also holds community también as well. And actually, I, you know, not dominate the conversation, so I kind of want to open it up to uh, all of us because, I mean... um, we talked a little bit uh, last podcast about actually librarianship has also generally been a pretty queer profession. Um, so uh, what about Shannon Dacquery? What about y'all's experiences with library either now or growing up? Um, yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast that the first time I really saw myself represented was in the library in books in queer books that I was finding on the shelf. Um, I struggle with the library as a resource for queer folks. I think that we're doing better, but I think that when people think of the library, it often defaults to family and children and um, not in a queer way, right? Because I have a queer family, 
there's queer families, but um, I think that, I don't know, I just feel like there's a default to heteronormity, and I would like to see that change because I do think that libraries are a space for community, and I think that in our work that's shifting a lot more than it has in the past. You know, libraries used to be about the books, and now we're seeing the shift where it's about the people, and I, I do want to see, especially Sapple, step more into the direction of holding the queer community and becoming a resource of not only educational services or, you know, resources in that sense, but also just a place to be safe and have fun and, you know, have space. I have a question. I just want to follow up what you said and Michael said and Erica said. How can Sapple be more of a resource? What extra steps do we need to take to, to be more welcoming to the queer community? I know there's been instances in the past that we've been criticized for our stance on some things and we stand fast by the way we behind those things. So we try to open our, our doors to welcome everyone. But what more steps, what more can we do to make you more welcome, to be more inviting, to make it more of a safe space that you can come here and you won't feel that heterosexual feeling that you said you had what can we do to fix that um you know i think that there's a lot that could be done uh one of the main things and i think sapple does a really great job especially as a queer librarian i feel very supported by sapple um so i will say i feel very lucky in that um however i i would like to see like queer stories be part of just general children's programming, right? For those not to be parsed out into a, a whole separate programming for queer families. Um, I I think if we could just normalize those stories as part of like our everyday approach to our work, that would make a really big impact. Yeah, I, I think so. I think just normalizing queer families would be a huge part of Okay, Making so not just welcome. having a, just not having a book display during Pride Month, having book displays every month, having book displays on everything, not just glamorizing Native American heritage much, having it on for any category. Intersectional. So exactly. Native American heritage, but also these are queer Native Americans included in this list. So exactly. always everything. So be inclusive in everything, what do we do? Yeah, gotcha. intersectional is a big thing. Um, I think another way to help with the library as a welcoming space is maybe some staff training for trans people, having trans patrons in the library, learning how to address, how to approach, okay, maybe their ID does not match the name that they have on their account, or they have their preferred name as a nickname, and that's because they haven't gotten it legally changed, and sensitivity training on how to talk about that and talk with patrons um, in a way that's not condescending, in a way that's not um, negative. Judgmental. Yes. Yeah, so I think that would be a big one, um, definitely. Okay. As far as my experience with libraries as a space, I am kind of atypical. Um, I didn't go to the library much as a kid. I grew up in the country. I grew up 30 minutes from everything, except my nearest neighbor was two miles away and was my grandfather. Uh, so I didn't really go out to the library much. Uh, I didn't even have a library card until I was an adult. Um, I read a ton, um, and... I was also kind of atypical as a queer. I didn't really start thinking about an identity for myself until I was probably in my 20s um, when I finally started being like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And it's been a very slow, <laughs> yeah. slow progress. But now, absolutely, oh my gosh, uh, now I uh, definitely, I'm always checking things out that I was like, oh, yes, this. 
queer books, and I'm always trying to be conscious with suggestions for the collection um, to make sure that we are getting a diverse collection of comics, of all kinds of books, not just fiction, uh, but nonfiction, audiobooks, all that kind of stuff, um, because it's super important to me. Thanks, Shannon. Um, I do want to say from my perspective, um, for the library, the way I think we can help people discover that and, and do better. Um, and I will say this, I, I do feel supported here at the library. Um, I do know that once admin, you know, like says, this is a thing, we're good to go, like they will have my back. Um, I think what would help is um, being free to do more outreach. Um, I think this would help reaching out to a lot of lot of different groups, but uh, especially uh, the queer community, where a lot of them don't have good experiences with institutions, with with uh, government associated entities, and so. Um, we have started, you know, doing more programming than just Pride Month. We started pushing that out. Um, but we can't just say, well, we have it. It's here. That's it. Um, We're done. We, we, I think, need to really be going into these areas and to, uh, to ask to be invited into their space um, on their terms where they feel comfortable to get them to see us as... Uh, potential partners, uh, potential resources um, for them to be able to trust us to take care of them when they are in this space. Um, I think I think that's something that uh, would be helpful for the library to do more of. I actually think that that's those are very good points. And I want to ask Erica for that perspective on that end also. But I get it. And and it's, it's it's I have a thought in my mind, but I just can't say it because I can't find the words to say it. When I was a teen liaison, I did a ton of outreach, tons of outreach. And when you do tons of outreach, you get to know the community. People trust you. They're they're more welcome to come to your space because I've talked to this person. I know how they are. They're welcoming, so they'll come in. COVID damaged that, and not only COVID did that. I think we haven't we don't have the training and we don't have the people to be consistent with the outreach. Just don't come see me in pride month. Just don't come see me in African American history month. See me every month. And we had a consistency. You have that trust. We have a trust community. You can build those relationships to have people come in and feel safe in those spaces. So Erica, how do you feel about that? Um, like I guess echoing what a lot of people say, I think, has to be a collaboration right between all staff and I mean all staff I mean every single person that puts effort into the library Mm -hmm. every single person not leaving out janitorial staff not leaving out oh the staff doesn't really every single person has to be um, included in in training I think that absolutely correct also um understanding that that would create a, a grand culture shift too for folks i think um there's a lot of power in the professionals to say professionally this is how we treat people and that creates ripple effects into people's homes into people's lives and family systems i also like would like to remind you all that you're in the community right when i told you in the south side there was libraries and these are communities 
um, you know, all all over. There's a library. You can go find a library in, you know, every direction, like 10 miles, 5 miles. And I think that's really great. I think that if specifically youth or anybody of any age, but knowing that that's a safe space, like that is a safe haven to go um, during the open hours of the library. I've gotten STD testing at the library. I love that. I love being able to go into a library and be like, I'm not here for a book, but I could also get that too. Um, People vote at libraries. You know, there's ways we can go and, and feel like we're sitting in another home when we're at a library and knowing that should any discrimination, transphobia, homophobia occur, that the people are in, you know, have not, even if you don't have the resources, if maybe there's not a mental health professional librarian on, on the job, that the y'all team. know, <laughs> y'all oh, know man. who to call or who to get in touch with or, you know, through us or through whoever community partners, you can say, this is, you know, here's this resource, right? And I think that that's how that really works is saying, I went to the library and I had a really bad mental health day and they were able to navigate that really gracefully and beautifully and then that makes really good impacts and changes. And I say that especially for youth because youth can come to the library. They can, they can be here and, and feel safe and maybe that's not the way that it is at home, which is where they spend a lot of time. Maybe that's not the way that it is at school. And that's really difficult to spend the majority of your time in spaces that don't honor you and don't see you. And then to come to the library, and not only do you have a cool, awesome librarian friend, but you also have someone who's able to show you that representation in, in books and literature and, and redefining, like, what is queer, right? Like, you know, what is queer books? Is it just because it's showing a, a queer family? Or, like, queerness is so many things, so finding the queerness and, like, Everything in every book, besides some books that I know is impossible to find, but I think <laughs> I think because when I think I'm like, oh, let's make a queer section in the library, and I'm like, but I don't want to other us. Like, oh, let's put the queers in the corner over here, and it's all like, how do you decipher that? How do you choose? This is a queer book. This is a, this is a tiny bit of queerness in this, you know, uh, just finding that in in every single way on and all the pages and saying, you know what. Let's um, find in this section where something queer queer lives because uh, it's it's true. Whenever I talk to college students, every single major there's some queer aspect of it. Doesn't matter what you're in, you know. That's you find the queerness in everything. I think you have a that's a very valid point. It starts from the top to the bottom. If you're not trained, you know the library could be cool, understanding, but you may have a per professional who doesn't understand. So I think there needs to be training from top to the bottom to be everybody be inclusive, treat everybody fairly. And personally, it has to be a paradigm shift because we were talking earlier, I'm always used to saying sir and ma'am, and it's not appropriate sometimes because that's not the pronoun, so that's the way people want to be addressed. So it's just it's a paradigm shift, and it's a, it's a hard shift because you've grown up this whole time saying those things. And it's it, it takes retraining your brain, mm-hmm. and it's a very hard thing to do. But I absolutely agree with you. It needs to be from the top to the bottom. We need to have sensitivity training on a lot of things. But we need to have that inclusiveness that we want to be a safe space. We want somebody to come here, regardless of teen, adult, to be a safe space, feel safe, learn, and just be free to let their mind expand to where they want to go to. 
And I think that's one of the main things we try to do, and we're not there yet. So we're working on it. So, yes, I agree with you 100% on those things. Yeah, I think I want to expand a little bit on something Shannon brought up as far as the policies Sapple has regarding names. I think that is one of the things that we're doing right. Um, I think that it is a service that needs to be utilized more. Um, I have several trans teens that come to my library, and I've worked really hard with the staff at my branch to make sure they understand pronouns and that they respect people's pronouns and that they know that it's okay if they get it wrong, but just to correct themselves and move on. Um, And one of the things that we've worked really hard on at our branch as well, I work with Dan, is making sure that people use that preferred name function. If they see someone that's giving them an ID and it doesn't quite match what they're seeing, to just be kind and ask about those things. Ask, is there a different name that you would like to have come up on your hold slip? Um, And making sure that that's put into the system. And so we are acknowledging and validating people's identities when they're in our space and making sure that they feel comfortable using our services. Definitely. And on the note of getting used to changes, it gets easier as you do it. Um, You know, just as you start to reprogram your brain, the more you do that, the easier it will get. And that's where having support, having other staff, having other people around you who help you, um, and it builds that culture of, yes, we're all working on this, it makes it easier. And that's where training would really, really be great system-wide. I love that you're doing that at Schaefer, though. Absolutely. Um, I do want to say that I heard something really cool at a symposium I was at, and it was Raices, and I want to say the, oh, I don't know, immigration, um, like, legal aid. They said that they were working on a library card that would be valid for folks that are not U.S. citizens, and Mm -hmm. it would be something that they could show in in place. So I think that there's just so many ways that the library can be so liberating and and empowering to people and and, in so many ways and and more like than a single-issue way, right, than this is, you know, trans folks or gender nonconforming folks or queer folks, but also folks who are undocumented, right, living the, the very many layers of their lives being able to also feel like that safety or that sense of security in having the power of a library card. I just think that I thought that was really cool. Uh, I have fingers crossed for one day that actually being reality. I have to check on it, but I think the enhanced library card serves that function. We have those at our learn centers. So you could have a library card and it's unique because it has your picture on it. So it can serve as an ID also. It's your picture and your address. Yes. Um, and you don't have to have a, an ID to get it. Um, you just have to have something with your name. And like it can be on letterhead if you're living in a shelter, um, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's been such a big hit that we've seen other libraries start to do this. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's really fantastic. I love that. Mm-hmm. On the mental health thing, though, there is a library in Texas that's got a... It's a pilot program. They're working with, I think, a hospital in the area to have a mental health professional in the library who does, like, peer counseling and does, like, uh, crisis work, like, almost every day, at least part of the day. And they're hoping – this is a pilot, so they're hoping to see how this goes over, I think, a two-year program. And then that will be hopefully applied to other libraries in Texas. So fingers crossed that goes really well because that would be amazing. That would be so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and I mean, we have the Learn Centers, which which are nice, and I'm glad we have those simply because, yeah, people sometimes need a lot of help, and they do. we can't always provide that one-on-one assistance, especially if you're at, well, no matter what branch, but especially like during times when it's super busy, it's just, uh, I, I 
you can't. And so, like, places like the Learn Center, having a, a, a mental health professional or even, like, a social services librarian position, I think, is even more necessary. Um, as Dacry pointed out, um, we've been shifting for a long time now away from just being, like, this is where you get books and do homework to we are essentially community centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how do we adjust ourselves to that function? Definitely. I also think that some of those things can be accomplished through collaborations. If you have serve, if you have programs, talk tech nonprofits or different organizations say, hey, you know, we want to do a program focusing on mental health. You know, we get to weep the word out. We could just come in and then ever be a resource for them and so the community to come in because it's going to be a long road. So you might as well create these partnerships, collaborations along the way so that way you can help the patrons and help, help ourselves because also those programs help us as employees too because they help us be aware of the things that are going on in our community. So I think those are also things we can look, look, look towards doing. Also building renovations. As we update buildings, you know, we create more bathrooms that are gender neutral, single user. As we create physical spaces that are more accessible and more user friendly, um, that helps a ton. Um, so like, you know, the bond, you got to support bonds whenever you see them, please support them. Um, like Carver's big renovation, that's going to make such a huge difference in that community. It's going to truly be a hub for the community once it's built. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see that kind of thing as we continue to update our, our physical spaces to be more welcoming. And actually, also, uh, it kind of just brought to mind to me the, the idea of, okay, so in, in the sense of this community space, what does that mean as information professionals with that training? Um and how does how does that fit in with with what what we get? And I, I try to think more about like so so what does that mean? Um, and you know the first thing that pops into mind is the zines actually. Um, so we have the zine committee here at the library, um, and honestly, like the the uh, emergency resources mini zine that we have. Uh, the transgender resources zine that um, Pride Center helped uh, helped us make um, these small portable means of information that that's evaluated that we that we go to organizations like Pride Center to try and fact check make sure we have correct information. It's almost kind of like a new informational currency within the library. Um, and like the LPs, it also has this delightfully retro feel. Yes. Um, I love that scenes have made a comeback. Yeah. It's so good. So uh, actually, I want to ask you, Erica, like, so I, I obviously like, you use a lot of social media at the Pride Center. Um, but but what is some of the ways you get information and knowledge out there to the community? Yeah. Um, so, yes, we use, utilize social media where lots of people do access information but we also do lots of old school ways of going to establishments um you know queer places bars restaurants and put flyers up on the walls i love that i love um anything retro i mean i truly just want to live in the 80s 90s like forever just be a nice spot for my fashion but beyond that zines (laughs) paper I mean, I, I love having, uh, I'll carry around, like, random pamphlets in my bag and, and give them to people, um, you know, just, like, on-the-go community health worker. It's just a great way to have 
that information because you can always rattle it off or say, hey, this is bookmark. But, you know, we, our phones and our digital lives are so heavy, like so oversaturated. I think that it's really great when you have something physical that you can hold in your hands and look at and it gets worn and you can go get a new one. And, it, you know, you can come back for when there's a new release of, because our resources are constantly updating. So, it's it's easy to update online, but we can also update it, you know, and, and print as well a little bit. Um, I think, you know, not overly printing, but printing just enough and, and savoring those is, is a great way to get information to folks, pamphlets, when we table, we have to have pamphlets. So we have um, ways and accesses of that. Um, I love the physical media partially because um, as something that we encounter every day in library work is the digital divide, the problem of not everybody has internet access, has a phone that can do internet at all. You know, smart, smartphones are not actually universal yet um, because they're ridiculously expensive. Um, and so having a zine just in a small, inconspicuous spot, like, hey, by the way, if you want this, you can just take that. And it's got all these resources that are also not dependent on having an internet connection. They have phone numbers, they have addresses so that people can go places you don't have to have a car. You can take the bus. Um, yeah, I really love using physical media because it helps bridge that that gap. So speaking of bridging gaps, actually, mm. excellent segue. Hey. Um, during the pandemic, uh, Erica, you may remember, we did a kind of mini online symposium with a couple of different uh, queer organizations. Um, that was a lot of fun, actually. Um, and I remember one of, the, one of the big takeaways is the way all the different organizations, uh, most of them very grassroots, um, kind of find these gaps in service and try to help fill in where they, where they can't, into areas that they can't extend. Um, and uh, uh, if, you can, if you can speak on this, I was wondering, um, working at the Pride Center, are there still certain certain need gaps that are that you feel need to be should be attended to but still don't have any organization or anything in place to really help cover it or areas that might need more of that kind of coverage absolutely so one of those is um there being an LGBTQ plus specific shelter, right? We have Thrive, therefore, you know, they have a specific age range that they serve. Um, And they do serve folks, you know, beyond that. But I think that, why don't we have an LGBTQ plus (laughs) specific shelter? Um, It's really difficult getting calls from folks um, who are in relationships and saying, you know, where can I go to a shelter? you know, as a trans person, or work, and, and you know, the city sh- shelters here in the city, yes, work with trans folks. How affirming are they? Can't say I don't know, but I'm I can't imagine it being as affirming as a place as an LGBTQ plus run shelter, specifically, you know, trained and operating in a way that affirms people in those sort of crisis situations and being there for them. Um, also have often hear a lot of folks coming from different places, like coming from um, very volatile and hostile cities in surrounding parts of Texas, right? And then there's a lot of restrictions on 
how you can access, you know, care in certain ways. So um, I'm really thankful that at least at the Pride Center, anybody, you know, um, can get care, case management. Um, you know, it's just one of those ways of where we're, you know, like if there's a giant leak and you're just like putting a little bowls or you're like <laughs> taping patching. stuff, patching things yeah. up in ways, putting band-aids on places that need like actual, you know, entire reconstruction. Um, so I think that I think I'm seeing and seeing a lot of youth struggle in schools with there not being GSAs. So there's the um, GSA Network of Texas, which is really incredible. Glad a lot of the work that they're doing. Um, but I, I really see those struggles, right, in the Pride Center. Um, we have youth programming, but we don't have uh, – and there are uh, organizations like Fiesta Youth and other um, youth organizations like um, SWU has youth, organi- youth programming that – you know, it's queer inclusive, but being in the school, right? Like being there, having that be places, uh, G- GSAs, their uh, gender sexuality acceptance groups. Um, I think that that's really important. That's definitely mm-hmm. something we've noticed in working with teens is there are a lot of schools that don't have GSAs. Or if they do, it's really hard to find information about them um, without physically going to the school and being tracking someone down. Are you the head of the GSA at the school? Um, finding information on those has been very difficult. Um, it's a frustrating process, but hopefully we can make more happen and, and encourage that, that network to grow. And then, yeah, there's also the concern, I guess, you know, don't want to force teens to, like, out themselves. Of course. And if you if they have to track down that information, <laughs> track down someone, it's like, Pretty, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would really suggest, like, any educators out there or parents – follow ACLU they do a really good know your rights so like title nine lots of specific information that you would only know if you attended the session like this um for you know ways of of names and utilizing names also being a person working with teens I'm gonna give educators some slack because I've had a teen change their name like five times and and you know a very short amount of time and it's like okay I've called you sock lamp and you know Casper, and now, like, it's like there gets, you know, I think there's got to be also some support for educators who are doing their best and, and working with trans youth because um, educators, they, they struggle a lot with a lot of the restrictions that are put on them. So I think that um, bridging that gap with youth and being like, hey, youth, you know, let's re- remember that our adults and our elders, you know, some of them are trying their best. <laughs> So let's not, and, and that you know, working with you, they they get it. You know, they're not, they're just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going through the motions. I'm like, <laughs> we see you. Yeah. Uh, youths, we have sometimes hard enough time remembering our names. <laughs> and what day of the week it is. Oh, happens way more often than I'd like to admit to. <laughs> so I was going to ask a question about what GSAs are. But y'all filled me in on that, so thank you for educating me on that. Because I, there's a lot of things I don't know, and I, I'm happy to learn that I didn't ever know there was a resource inside the schools. I think it, I don't know if it used to be called or if this is completely separate, but American murder. <laughs> but um, back when my brother and I were growing up, uh, some schools used to have, they called it a gay straight alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was one at our high school, actually, when he was going to school, and then everyone lost interest and it disappeared by the time I was in high school. 
Um, and I, I don't know if that like evolved into this or if it's just it same did. thing, different name. It okay, did. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, same acronym, but I didn't want to assume. So do do organizations like schools or community centers or the organizational entities do they actually contact you for advice or what are the steps to help the, the kids or anything like that? Should we yes, contact them? yes, we know. do get contacts with you know, educators, people in decision-making, asking those good questions. And, I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here for everybody. That's very good to know mm-hmm. because I hate for them to make the decision on their own without any resources to, you know, yeah, that's great. Stumbling around in the dark, yeah, no, not not necessarily the best idea. Well, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are still stumble around in the dark, but I'm just happy to find out that some people are actually seeking the help. Because that's the that's the first step. Conversation is the first step, so we keep on going. That's why we have these podcasts to get the word out and let people know the resources there and that we're able to help them also. But yeah, I'm very enlightened by this conversation. Thank you. It wasn't even over yet. It's true. Yes, always always feel free to ask. So many times I have someone come up to me at the reference desk and just say, "I'm sorry to bother you, but I have a question." I'm like, "That that's literally my job. That that is what they are paying me here to do. Please." <laughs> Ask away. <laughs> I have said that to people. I'm like, no, no, I'm just staring at the screen between questions. It's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's why we're there. <laughs> uh, and if we don't, if we don't know the answer, we will help you find out who does. Right. Uh, another slightly common misconception: we just give the impression we know anything, but uh, we know everything. But uh, trust, trust me, uh, we just know how to find it. Right. We're all we're all in this journey together. Right. But that does bring up if you if you want to support if you want to support the library, if you want to be showing saying, Hey, you think what we're doing is great, you gotta It it is actually extremely important to do that, to let us know that what what we are doing well, not just so that we understand what, what to work on, but also so we can say, Hey, the community wants this. It's important that we provide it. Um, we have actually had, I think it was 40 reconsideration requests for materials, All, almost all of them LGBTQ+. Um, and uh, fortunately, we do have a very strong um, uh, collection development policy, um, and we do very much believe the library is for everyone. Um, for those of you listening... Um, while we librarians will always uh, fight for you and your right to, to read what you want and to keep everything on our shelves, we are, it all is still determined by policy. Um, and part of the way that libraries fight these requests, fight to keep books on our shelves, is when community members write in and say, hey, we love um, that you have this material for us, or we love that you're doing this programming. Because then we can go to um, our board, uh, we can go to our administrators and say, we can keep doing this. We have a lot of strong support in the community. This is what the community needs. Um, so please, it, the least you can do, just write a letter saying saying you appreciate that we have these things. Um, and something else to be mindful of is um, local elections. So the the library board, all that, those those tend to be elected positions um and so it's important to uh sorry 
so the library boards are appointed by council members and by the mayor, yeah. and those positions are elected. Yes, sorry. My apologies. Uh, they are appointed by elected officials. Um, they are not in and of themselves elected positions. Um, getting ahead of myself. Um, so it, it's important to keep these things in mind because while the librarians uh, will will fight for you, um, if a policy gets changed, our job is to follow that policy. So if you don't notice until the book is off the shelf, it is so much harder to get it put back on. Um, so just please bear this in mind. Please support your libraries. Please let us know um, uh, what you appreciate. Um, and even, you know, we are always open like, hey, we think you should be doing this. We will always take it under consideration in alignment with with our mission and our values. Um, and just know that we always also appreciate you as our patrons, um, no, no matter who you are. No matter if you're coming in and checking out books or if you're just coming in to have a place to sit for a while, we are here for you. Um, and and we thank you for your support. Along that note, um, Edward, can you let the people know where they would send those letters to or how they would get those letters into us? Sure. Because on our website, there is the library director email. You can always do that. You can also just suggest a purchase on the website. And there's also the chat feature with the reference. You can also do that from our website, mysepple.org. What if they want to do an old school, like, snail mill writing party? And sure, send, they could like, always awesome. they could write that to the library director at 600 Soledad, 4th floor, San Antonio, Texas, 78205. We welcome go. all forms of communication. Please let us know. We appreciate feedback, positive feedback. Let us know we're doing good. Let us know we're doing wrong. Let us know what we can improve on. That's the only way we get better. Mo better. Mo better. <laughs> Definitely. But I have to ask one last question before we leave. I think has everybody got their fill of the conversation? Anything else you want to add? No, I think, yeah. Okay. So we talked about my pronouns earlier. So let's circle back to that. So would it just be or I don't know. Uh, generally, I mean, you can use just a singular word to represent your full pronoun set. Edward? If you only have... Yeah. Um, people use their names as pronouns. That's certainly a, an long. option. Uh, but you can say he, him. You can say he, him, his uh, to clarify uh, because some people have mixed pronouns. Um, or He, him, his. Okay, well, I'll, I'll ponder on that one for a while. I like that. Okay. The power of three. Right? Yeah, so I was nice. born in March. So you see the three? <laughs> see, there it is. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, your highness was way too wordy. It was. Yeah. Two syllables. <laughs> it's my preferred form of address. Right? Yes. And one last question. We haven't did this in a while, Dan. I haven't did this in a while. Erica, do you prefer tacos or burritos? Uh, how dare you ask me to choose between those two? Um, I refuse to pick between tacos and burritos. I love them both. A taco is... A burrito is a taco. Mm-hmm. Just... Hugged a little bit tighter. You know, I like that. <laughs> That's beautiful. We recently are recently come in contact with a lot of Californians, and there's a place I shouldn't give a plug. I'm not gonna give a plug. Don't give a plug. But it's the number one taco restaurant in Express News, and it's around the corner from my house. And they give you humongous tacos. And I brought one into work. They said, "That's a nice burrito." I said, it's not a burrito. <laughs> 
It's not a burrito. It's open faced. It's a taco. Burritos are closed. Like you know when you when you're watching a, a scary movie, you put the covers all over your head and your feet, and you're just like wrapped like a mummy. That's a burrito. Or you know when you have to clip your cat's nails. And you... Exactly. So Michael, burritos or tacos? I'm going to say tacos. Okay, that's a good guy. <laughs> you can always add more fillings onto tacos, but once that burrito's wrapped, that's you it. have to live with you have to live with yourself. You've committed. Committed. <laughs> Daiquiri. I'm going to say tacos too, only because burritos are generally too big for me to eat, like to finish. So, tacos. Shannon. Hundred percent tacos. I am okay. a huge taco fan. I mean, burritos are fine. Okay. They're so rice heavy usually. I'm like. Usually mm. are. Give me tacos. Awesome. Awesome. What about Dan? Dan? Silent Dan. Silent Bob. Blink once for burritos, twice for tacos. <laughs> okay, that's just rude. <laughs> Dear readers, he blinked both eyes back and forth, so it was very unhelpful. Right. I'm going to say tacos. He has a mic. He has to live with that. Mm-hmm. There we go. Mm-hmm. So thank everyone for being here. Erica, thank you so much. It was uh, a wonderful experience gain a lot of knowledge hopefully we could use this knowledge to be a better organization help our community do these things and again you want to give your, your press center plug the contact information yes absolutely you can find the pride center san antonio uh pride center sa.org you can find us on social media same pride center sa uh, we're not on TikTok, but you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our website has a ton of information along with resources that we have that you can click and, and access. Um, also, a place where you can ask any questions and have them submitted, and we'll get back to you. You can call us directly at 210-370-7743. You can also find us um, at... 1303 McCullough. We are expanding and looking forward to opening in person and having in person programming next year. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. You can find me on the interwebs uh, on Instagram at, at Rica. It's hard to, <laughs> to say, but it's Q U E underscore R R R I C A. Um, do you want to show me a picture of your dog? That would be cool. Or cat or whatever. Support animal. Yeah. <laughs> I have three dogs. Two pugs and a French bulldog. Yes. Thank you so much. Please continue to fight the good fight. And anything we can do to help you out, please do not hesitate to let us know. And I think that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. And get connected on mysapple.org with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Flickr, Instagram. And follow tuned in on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music.